Hey, thank you so much for letting us be a part of your quiet time. Actually, we're kind of loud. That's why it's the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. So maybe your quiet time will be post or pre this. But we're Rochelle and Carter. And this is where we get to just talk about God's truth and hopefully share it within the guardrails of truth and love. That's something that we try to say often. Yeah. Uh, And today's subject matter, you know, it's, it's heavy. But we always try to bring something a little bit light to it. And I, I love thinking about the way that we can love our neighbors well. Some of them are less easy to love. Oh, yeah. Oh, some of them are very stubborn. <laughs> yeah. Full disclosure. But uh, today, how can we love those around us who are maybe dealing with grief? And maybe even recently, we've seen so many things in the headlines lately to to make us grievous. So um, grateful to have our guest with us today. Yeah, the next three weeks is going to be about how to love your neighbor when. And today, instantly, my pastor came to my mind because of just situations that we'll get to that we as a church have gone through with grief as a state. Uh, We're in Texas. And so with Uvalde and the tragedies that really have plagued our country, there's been grief. And so we all go through that time where you want to do something, but you don't really know what to do or what to say. Because you can come off presumptuous. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which can be then perceived as obnoxious. (laughs) It's like, all right, how can I be Jesus in the moment? What did he do so that I can, he exemplified what we should do. So what can I do to follow suit? Uh, so today my pastor is here, uh, Steve Besner. Thank you for hanging out. By the way, hnw.org, it's Houston Northwest on the north side of Houston. Uh, and so that's where you've been, I mean, getting close to 10 years, I think. Yeah, that's right. Be there in uh, in almost 10 years and I, I or in, I'll be there almost 10 years in a few months. Yeah. And thanks for having me today. Oh, Glad so to be great. here. Yeah, excited. Uh, it has been a whirlwind, I'm sure, for you over these past few months um, because this was a, a really a statewide story um, that there is a family uh, that that was a part of our church body mm. that experienced great loss um, mm-hmm. with a, I mean, five, losing five family members in mm-hmm. one day mm-hmm. uh, due to somebody's choice. This, this was a, a homicide situation. And... Um, I know that we, you know, we saw the headline first, I think even before knowing, you know, who they, anybody being identified and, and both go, I mean, what do you say in a situation like that? And just to explain, if you're listening to this, even sometime in the future, this is, these stories are so hard to, you don't want to hear them the first time. Right. So if I'm resharing and it's hard, please bear with us. Cause I think we're going to get to a place of being able to choose joy, but it's the family grandpa was watching the grandbabies. I'm mm. going to call them babies because they're always babies, no matter how old. And three of them brothers, one a cousin. Is that correct? Yes, I believe that's, that's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Okay. And, and a person had escaped from prison mm. in the area. And I, I don't know the details passed. He went into this home and took the lives of all of these family members. Mm. And I'm reading this from the outside and just devastated. Once again, this is another one of those headlines that, you have no words saying you, except for the name Jesus, Jesus, yeah. um, which can you bring you so much peace and healing and hopefully you're able to offer it to someone who is in the midst of the grieving process. But then Carter, I, I we do a radio show together and he says, you know, this, this family was a part of our church family. What? Mm. But the way that um, the brother of the grandpa who is now with Jesus came and shared uh, Sunday morning at the pulpit shared from a place of just, you can just tell this man's faith has grown 
with time and he, he stands on a firm foundation because how else can just hours after your family has been devastated in this way, get on a stage and in front of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ state that I know that God has a plan. Yeah. Only God can bring in that peace. That's why, that's why it's related to that transcends understanding. It's the way that scripture talks about it. It's because only God can offer that kind of life transforming peace. And I think that, you know, I've heard you grow really in the valleys, right? Yeah. And so that's such a lesson when we're going through it. But I think probably, I'm guessing the hardest part of a pastor's job is to go in there after a situation of, of death in general. What, I mean, talk about a little bit about that night when you found out and you are with this family that are believers in Jesus, but what do you say? How do you handle it? Yeah, great questions. Um, so the night that we got the phone call, uh, my wife and I were at home. We had cooked dinner. We were hanging out there with a couple of friends. Uh, I think the first response, obviously, is just shock. You can't believe that something like this would happen. We got into our car immediately, drove over to the to the house and I think that whenever you walk into a moment like that, um, we all have different responses, right? You know, we're, we're shocked, we're overwhelmed. Um, I think that one of the first things that I ever was taught um, in handling these sorts of situations is that in any kind of crisis moment, there's a theological response and there's a pastoral response. Hmm. And I want to kind of talk about that for just a second. Um, the theological response in that moment could be, God is still good. Mm -hmm. God is still on his throne. Um, it, it, some sort of reference to those sorts of theological truth. And I want to be clear. Scripture doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. Those things are all obviously still true. Yeah. But normally someone in that moment is not prepared to receive the theological response. Mm -hmm. The better thing is the pastoral response. And I think that the pastoral response in that moment uh, was what we chose was to come in and basically hug people, weep with people, uh, tell them I love you, I'm praying for you, and just sit there and be there. Um, one of the things that it, it, I'm sure that you two have had experiences with this is that in the loss of a loved one, people want to say things. So they, they gravitate towards that theological response. They don't know what to say. And they end up saying things that unintentionally are hurtful mm -hmm. or they're kind of just, you know, not really theologically solid. And in the end, it ends up confusing people or hurting people. And I think that it's a great time to remember the model of Jesus, incarnational, God in flesh among us, which is the ministry of presence is enormous. Yeah, and just yeah. sitting with people and not really trying to solve it, but just be with them. Yeah. How much time do you think? <laughs> this is so such a yeah. loaded question. Because who can say? I Obviously the Holy Spirit. Um sitting with him and listening to his voice. Lord, help me not be presumptuous even with your lead. Uh, but ha being a pastor and having been in not necessarily these exact circumstances, but holding the hands of people who have dealt with loss. When do you get to a place? Because I know that's what people, they, they desperately want to give them that mm -hmm that floating device when they're drowning, you know, they, we want to hand that to them. So, so when do you transition to the theological? That's uh, yeah. Is there a place to do that, that you've discovered? Is it pa post funeral? Is it, I mean, like, w w do you have any answers mm -hmm. here? This is a tough question. Yeah. I, uh, all I can talk about is personal experience. I would say my personal experience is, is that I go to the theological response 
when the people who are grieving are ready to go there. And they typically tell us that okay. when they start asking questions. Yeah. Sometimes that's in the immediate aftermath. Um, but most of the time it takes a day or two or three. Um, sometimes um, it takes longer than that. Now, if I'm the one who's preaching the funeral, I always mm -hmm. go to the theological response at the funeral because I think that's part of the responsibility as being a, a minister is that your job is to proclaim the gospel. Yeah. But um, in the follow-up of the days and the, after the loss, after the, the processing of grief really kicks off and begins, I feel like part of my job at that moment is to just sit with them and there will come a moment when my presence, I'm a pastor, eventually they go, okay, my pastor is here. Mm -hmm. I'm in deep pain. Mm -hmm. This shouldn't have happened. Yeah. So then they say, Steve, why would God let this happen? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, some, why would God do this? Or however they phrase that. And that's when what I hear is an invitation to engage the theological and we kind of go from there. Well, I would imagine somebody asks that the first night at mm -hmm. times sure. where, where maybe you lean to the, because I, we always want to know the answers, especially if we're talking to somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus. Uh, but we don't I, don't, I haven't felt we necessarily like have to. It's okay to say, I don't know. That's right. But that particular night, when asked by a, a, a grieving, uh, a person that is a believer, do you attempt at all? Or do you simply leave it at, I don't know? Um, I, I think it depends on the situation. So I can tell you in that particular instance, nobody was asking those questions yeah. at that point. Yeah. I think everyone is in so much shock. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was five deaths. It didn't really seem to make any sense. No one was really asking the why question as much as just sitting with the complete mm -hmm. shock mm -hmm. that an entire family had been altered uh, forever. Um, the next day I came back to the house. Um, I sat on the back patio with a couple of the family members. It was the parents of the three, the three boys, the three brothers. And I, in that conversation, which it was a couple hours long, at some point it began to shift. Yeah. And that was when they started to ask questions. And when they started to ask those questions, then I said, you know, let's look at what the scripture says. Let's, let's talk about how best to, to handle that, how best to think about that. As you have already discussed, this family had a deep faith. So I think their starting point was very different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If it had been a family that had no faith background, it probably would have been a, a very different conversation, a, a different, you know, kind of a explanation of what the scriptures say and that sort of thing. But because they had a deep faith background, they got to this point where they, you know, started and they said, okay, let, let's talk about what this means about who God is. Mm. And we kind of walk from there. I've got a couple questions. Um, because there are several stages of grief, I always have to look these up because I, honestly, as a woman, I think we all know that my uh, emotions are going to be <laughs> varied from how a man deals with anger. Everything's connected. Women are spaghetti. Men are waffles. Everything's in boxes, right? But so I think this is what I have done before. I'll go from denial to anger, back to denial, back to depression, to the bargaining. I can go every which mm -hmm. way. But generally, are you are you thinking that it's maybe between anger and bargaining when you may start mm. being approached? And let me clarify, this is according to, I don't know, I, everybody who's yeah. ever been There's a counselor. The stages of grief. Okay, yeah. so denial's the first one. It suggested anger is the next, bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance. 
And my question again, is it usually between anger and bargaining? It kind of felt like that might when be... When that theological response kind yes, of kicks in? Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that in the the shock and the denial, uh, you know, at the beginning, that's when people, they just need someone to sit with them. I, it helps us gauge... Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, ...from the outside if there's an opportunity to... Because again, as a pastor, you were kind of invited into the situation because, as you said, this is a deeply faith-rooted family. Um, of course, they're going to invite someone who has spoken right. into their spiritual lives. Um, for those of us who are family members who obviously feel that way, we have deep faith and we want to be of some comfort in the situation. Perhaps we've not even been invited. We're just family, so it's ex- expected um, it's tricky. It's tricky to know if I'm dealing with a family member who does not know the Lord, how can I maybe come alongside, especially yeah. if this family member knows, oh, well, that's Rochelle mm. and she loves Jesus and I don't need her religiosity right now. It's tricky business. So I, I, I'm just kind of like taking your cues here and seeing where I might be able to put a proverbial foot in the door a little bit to just come alongside. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a different time even in the midst of this. Yeah, and I think that one of the things too is that, you know, as as believers, we have such a firm hope in the Lord and in heaven. We want everybody to know that. We want to share that. But I really do think that one of the best things for for folks who are grieving is that we're just patient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We think, man, if I haven't had the opportunity to put this in front of the person who's hurting, who's experiencing loss within... 24, 48 hours while I've missed my window. That's definitely not the case. I think that you're talking about being a family member. If I'm the person who's going to walk with this individual, sit with them, bring them food, shoot them text messages, call, come by, that kind of thing. And I'm going to do that for the next month, two months, three months. You're going to have opportunities. And I think that a lot of times people think too much in terms of kind of a, and I got to, I got to get this in ASAP. When really, what happens in the immediate stages of grief, people hardly even remember that. You know, it's just deep pain, yeah. particularly in these shocking, tragic situations. Mm-hmm. Going to give them a little space. The other thing too is, I think that that ministry of presence is what really allows people to say, "Steve seems like a trustworthy person that I could talk to about this," um, because every time I turn around. He's calling me. He's texting me. He's showing back up at the house. He's making sure that I'm okay. And so in those moments, I think those conversations sort of come naturally, yeah. if that if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. How, how do you handle this though? You're talking about unbelieving family and the timing. Um, and this is, I mean, maybe they were, but I think clearly just by what they posted, they weren't. It was a uh, public group and it said, is there a pastor in the area that can come pray maybe use the term read last rites. Uh, my mom's, you know, in the hospital. We, it doesn't matter what religion is what they said. Uh, can somebody just come pray? And I noticed that and I just found that'd be a very interesting situation. Uh, if you were going to handle something like that mm-hmm. and they just simply asked you to pray, mm-hmm. do you leave it at the prayer? Mm-hmm. Do you, no, I would say most of the time, probably they're going to go, well, what do you think? And, and then you'd get an opportunity to right. share if asked, but would, would you leave it at the prayer as the ministry if that's what they asked? So I, as a Christian pastor, and this is what I always, what I always tell people, you know, I get asked to do weddings. So a little different situation. But what I tell people is, is I only do one wedding. 
and that's a Christian wedding. Mm. If you just want someone to marry you, you can go to the justice of the peace and have that done. But if you want a pastor to perform your wedding, sure. you're making some assumptions, I would assume, uh, about what it is that you're looking for, which is you want a, a wedding that is based in scripture and in the gospel. So I kind of take the same approach. I haven't had near as many of these sorts of situations, but I have had, have had a few over the years where I'm called into these moments to pray for people who aren't believers. Hey, we need to get a minister of some sort in here because I think that particularly in Texas, but in a lot of places, you know, in the States, they go, okay, well, someone's dying. Someone needs to say something. Some sort of religious thing needs to happen, even mm -hmm. if they don't know what that is, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've been in those moments. And when I come in, I say, okay, Hey, I'm happy to be here. I'm so sorry for what's you know going on right now. Um, I want you to understand what it is that we teach and we believe before I start talking about anything. Because if what I'm going to say does not line up with what you believe, or this is offensive to you, mm -hmm. then you can make a different decision. And it it sort of puts everyone at ease, and yeah. they go, "Okay, well, he's he's." He's giving us an opportunity to hear. You're being up front. That's right. Yeah. And then you typically just get to to share the gospel. And then people can kind of make a decision based on that at that moment. I mean, and individuals can take that approach. I mean, that's great. A absolutely. We're talking about family members. Well, if you want me to be here, if you want me to pray, I'm mean, just, just FYI. And that's just communication. Yeah. And I, I think I see more and more in, in, in our city, particularly people in our church who are not quote unquote ordained or licensed, but they are in their family or in their circle of friends, oh, that's, you know, that's Carter. He's the Christian guy. Mm -hmm. And so they'll get asked to perform weddings. They'll get asked to speak at funerals. Mm. And so they'll come to me and they'll say, okay, hey, Steve, what do I say? What is it that I do? And I think that as that happens more and more, people are called into those moments because they're like, oh, you're the lady who prays. Mm -hmm. you're, you're the guy who reads his Bible. And I, I do think that you're right, that people can say, well, I don't just pray to a generic God. You know, mm -hmm. this is the God that was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. My holy text is the Bible. And so I come at it from this particular perspective. Is is that okay with you? Do you want to understand more about that? And I, I think people receive that. I like the humble approach to that. I there's a lot of there's a lot of thinking I I believe and it's very wrong. And let me let me cut let me go back. Let me go back. I love that you're not presumptuous in this. And there's so much there's so much heart and passion for our savior that we can be presumptuous and we don't even recognize it in ourselves. But earlier I was saying, "Hey, uh making sure that I'm open to what the Holy Spirit is guiding me to." That's not a joke. That it's being it's so important and key that we know the truth. It has set us free and we get so passionate and, and oh, I got to share with everybody, you know, yeah. and understandably because we know that that's what can help. That's the answer. That's what can save people. So why the timidity? Why do we feel that? Why is it that, you know, Pastor Steve is saying that I, 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 I presented up front so no one is felt like uh, that I bowled them over with my theology, my religiosity or whatever. And I, I just want to speak to that in that I've seen it even done that way because that was not Jesus. And it, every time that we get to share a passage of scripture about Jesus, just remember if it wasn't for the humility of the son of God, making himself available, his presence available, um, 
we wouldn't know the truth. It wouldn't set us free. There, there, the act of him coming in the first place is, I mean, the most humble thing ever, right? As a child, as a baby, um, apt to, to be fractured or hurt or, you know, completely vulnerable. Yeah. And there's this humble quality that we need to marry together with the passion that we have for our Lord. This is the way he came into the world. And I think that so many of the Jewish people were troubled and frustrated by that. As we know, they were wanting a, a general to come in and take out the Romans so that we can override everything and your kingdom is here. All right, let's get this going, right? Make it right. And that's what that's what they were thinking. And that's what we continue to kind of carry along with is we want to make it right. Mm-hmm. But that was not that was not Jesus's approach. Now, when offered or invited into the situation, always just praying, Holy Spirit, lead, guide me. And that's something that <laughs> I think we're all just kind of going in there going, I, I don't know. And that's really good. We should always just go, I don't know in, in my heart, in my head. God, I know in my heart what I'm supposed to, to say. I don't know the exact words or the approach right now. So I'm going to get humble before you and say, you got to take over in this moment. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but I really appreciate that you do not presume with people. And it's so important that we take on that spirit of humility like Christ uh, because it, it, as we shared a couple times already here in the podcast, he was the example so what can we glean from his experiences? Does he weep when we weep? Yes. Does he mourn when we mourn? It tells us in scripture to rejoice when others rejoice. You know, these are the things that we're supposed to do. And um, this is all, uh, our quiet time. Anything but quiet time podcast, obviously, is what we're going over in our own quiet time. And right now, how does anything in First Chronicles go along with this? Well, <laughs> I will tell you. Segway. <laughs> no, I, but I was thinking about this as he was sharing and thank you so much again for being here and sharing. Um, Dr. Pastor Steve. Uh, I just, <laughs> he told us to just leave he, it to Steve. I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. But it was like, Look I was like, what, what do you want to be called? Yeah. I, like, I don't care. You can call me anything. Well, you've opened the door now. So, <laughs> Rookie mistake. <laughs> but it was interesting. You know, David, King David was so excited at the thought of building the temple. He was so excited and at first, he got the go-ahead from his top prophet guy. Go, do whatever's in your heart. And then that guy gets a vision and comes back and says, on second thought, actually, God has a different plan. You're not going to build the temple. He's good with the tent for now, the tabernacle that has been you know, set up and Moses established. He's good with that for now. Uh, but your son is going to do that. What's interesting, because I, I would have been... I don't know. That would have been deflating, I think. David's got all of these victories under his belt. There's no better king out there. He's a great warrior. He's proven himself, established him as the best king ever. Still to this day, arguably, for Israel, right? Um, so why can't I do this thing? Because I'm passionate about God. And boy, does he know God. Does he know the heart of the Father? He still messes up a lot, but knows the heart of the father because he would he would take himself away from the noise and the bustle and the hustle. And boy, do we, we still struggle with that today. But he always would find that place in the fields, <laughs> humbly, mm. is that word again. And that's why he took on Goliath because it wasn't what he knew that he could do. It was what he knew God could do because he had had those quiet times with God. And for, he knew that relationship. He knew who his God was. 
So David wanted to do this beautiful thing for God. And God said, it's, but it's not yours to do. Yeah. So having to release that, yeah, I think that would be, that would be difficult. But what can I do? I've been asked to wait. And he got things ready. So he had a bunch of beautiful stuff all ready to go. He took Solomon, who he knew was young. And he's like, I've got people in place to help guide you. If you always put God first, everything's going to be okay. Here's the stuff. And then Solomon ultimately builds the temple. But I think that's, that's a fear that we have. We know that that person is struggling. We know the plans that God has for his people. He wants them. He, he, it, is it First Peter? It says, that, why is he waiting so long to come? Because he wants that none should perish. He wants them to be in relationship with him. That's the desire. But why do we put it on ourselves as I'm the only one who can do that in this moment? Sure. Maybe God God has placed me here for such a time as this. Maybe that is true. But I should never think that I'm the only one who can maybe lead them to a place of understanding. That maybe I'm there to supply some materials, but that someone else can come alongside. Always know that someone else can build build the quote temple. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, whether it's grief or or not, it just kind of comes down to the planting and the watering conversation that Paul has. Yeah, yeah. Have you, in your experience, again, whether grief situation or anything, have you had to simply let people walk away? Oh, absolutely. I think that as you both were, were talking just now, I was thinking about the fact that in any situation, it's not just grief, it's just in ministry in general, you're always sharing the gospel with people and people are always choosing. And we just don't know the readiness of the hearts of people. And I know it's become cliched, but there are moments where Jesus essentially says, hey, let's shake the, the dust from our sandals. We're going to the next village because they weren't ready here. And I don't know that, that we would ever be able to know about someone's heart uh, to say, hey, we're gonna move on. I'm not saying that, but I think that we're talking to a variety of people and as we find people who are open and ready and engaged and want to have those conversations, that's where we lean in. It doesn't mean that we stop walking with these other folks. It doesn't mean that we're not available to them. But I think that we can't force people to decide that they want to be open to the gospel. That's between them and the Lord. So we just keep being faithful. We keep sharing the good news of who Jesus is, keep modeling that love, keep you know being present in their lives. And then they 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 sort of dictate the terms on when they're ready to have those conversations. Yeah. It's not me anyway, right? It's yeah. Christ in me. No, that's true. That's right. that's right. When it comes to grief itself, one thing we were sitting there at Easter at our church and uh, Pastor Steve starts talking about Lazarus. And I'm like, I've never heard a Lazarus sermon uh, on Easter. Um, but what you did and specifically what you said about the brokenness of life and, you know, in, in a lot of connotations, it had to do with, with sin and repentance and that uh, Jesus is said, I'm going to do something about this. Mm. But we got into the depths there mm. about grief with, obviously, Lazarus had passed away. This is Jesus' friend and, and his friend's friends, and, and there's family there too, weeping. And we see Jesus weep. And so what did you see there in that situation that's maybe in that, that biblical example mm -hmm. that's helped you be able to be present to, and to like Rochelle was saying, understand, I don't have to fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the fact that Jesus weeps there reminds me of Romans, uh, weep with those who weep. And I, I just think that um, there is 
a tendency, um, I'm going to say among guys, that may, or, that may be a little too stereotypical, but I think that they show up and they think, well, I can't be, I can't be hurt. I can't hurt along with those who are hurting. And I actually think that whenever you put your arms around people and you cry with them, mm-hmm. they know that you are not just the Bible answer man. You know, you're, you're truly a pastor. You're truly a shepherd. You care about this person. You want to walk with this individual. And I think that that's one of the great things that Jesus modeled in that moment was that we have been created for eternity. And so whenever we experience death, we hurt because we don't get to carry on that relationship until we step into eternity. And so we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Yeah. So we, we have hope, but it still hurts. Yeah. With that part of, because I loved your line, Jesus said, I'm going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And that's him dying on the cross. What can we as the body do? And maybe it comes down to presence mm-hmm. um, because I can kind of look at my notes here. I'm like, maybe this has already been answered. But I, I, I think tangible ways is what I look for when I hear of a podcast mm-hmm. like this. Okay, I can be there. What have you seen that has worked and that has not worked. Maybe a great heart. It's a good question. But what has worked and not worked? And you're talking about in dealing with grief. In dealing specifically with grief. I think starting with things that have not worked, I think um, we've sort of already dealt with those. But number one, I think is saying something that is intended to be good, but is either too soon or really doesn't line up with scripture. So- Things that I've heard over the years, and you know, you've heard you know things like this. You know, another angel got its wings today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that nowhere in the Bible, and that doesn't help anything or anyone. I think even one that if if they're a believer, which is true, but it can be too too quick. Is well, they're in a better place, mm. and that if they're a believer, they're with the Lord. That is true, but I don't know that in that moment that's always helpful, right? Now, if it's been someone who's and suffering, you know, with cancer, and you know that might be a comforting word in that moment. But I think in a tragedy, I am so sorry. Period. Mm. You you can stop there, and so I think that because what we're trying to do, even is, the words "I'm praying for you" may be too much. No, I don't. I think that's okay. I think you okay? could say "I'm praying for you." Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm praying for you, but I think that's that's kind of it. You know, yeah, just yeah. leave it right there. Be be pretty, be pretty simple. Um, now back to the uh, the what works. I think that what works is then when you look around at the situation and think, now, what do they really need? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the, the thing that we've all done over the years is we bring food, right? That's kind of what we do. But whenever you look at, so for instance, um, let's say a, a woman who's just lost her husband and her kids are grown and gone. Mm-hmm. Um, what she might need is someone to, to line up some yard work. And she might need um, a handyman once a month to come by and walk through the house and go, Hey, let let's deal with that light issue. Let me take change the filters um, in the in the uh, return air ducts. You know those sorts of things. Practical uh, stuff. Exactly, mm-hmm. just very yeah. practical things. So I think that that. And if you look at um, a family that's experiencing a loss, they have small children. Hey, we're gonna take care of your kids um, every week for the next six weeks, just in, so you can have some time yeah. to you know, be on your own or to sort out some of these details. And I think that whenever we put ourselves in those situations, that's whenever people go, man, that, that really helped. Now, what we typically do is we say, Hey, if you need anything, let me know. Yeah. Which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that if you see they need something 
and even trying to anticipate it and stepping in that those are really really helpful yeah. things. The golden rule always comes to mind here because Exactly. I and and it can kind of freak me out a little bit. What because, is the golden rule card? Well, it's to treat others as you would have done unto you. Right. And so I, I'm sitting here going, I see, I can't remember what it was, it was a show or something the other day and they somebody was hurting and they were pounding on their on the you know, grieving one's door saying, come on, let's go get dinner. Or let's, you know, let me help, let me help. And I'm sitting here telling my wife, that would really annoy the daylights out of me. Mm-hmm. Like for somebody to be that overbearing. Right. Um, now, maybe if I'm in a dis- depressive slump for six months and I haven't left the house, right. I, would, I would need it. But what have you found to be overbearing mm-hmm. compared to, no, the right amount of, let me get them out of their shell? Well, and you've got to remember a couple of things. You got to remember appropriateness. Do I have the relational equity with this mm-hmm. person to do these things? That's really right? good. Right, because I don't want to be offering to watch someone's kids if they don't know me. They'd be like, <laughs> that, that's kind of weird, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Or um, and any kind of thing like that. Now, if I'm close enough to that person to offer those things, I should also know their personality. So um, if I notice that, man, they're in a deep depressive funk yeah. right now, I've got to engage. Yeah. That might be when I, I might be a little more forceful, but I might also in the first few days, give them some space. Hey, I'm coming by, just checking on you, calling, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I, I think that that's when it's hard, right? It's those, those personality traits those people skills that we learn hopefully over the years and we've got to kind of lean in and go, okay, this is helpful or not. The other thing too is I, I do think that whenever you you offer something to just say, would it be helpful if mm. I did X? That's good. And if you say that and they say, uh, no, that that would not be helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then, you know, back off. But if they say, and that that would be okay, then I think take them at their word and, and lean in. I I remember, and this is a fluffy and adorable and cuddly example, but Carter and Kelsey had this puppy named Benson. Mm-hmm. And Benson, he passed away a few months ago. Mm-hmm. I, something that Carter shared with me, he said, I'm, I'm grateful that you've allowed me to talk about it because I loved Benson. He, he would come and stay with us sometimes when they were out of town. And we would talk about our, our, our times with Benson and he would share about Benson. Uh, and my dogs that had passed away, I'd bring up, you know, not just the good stuff, but also some of the hard stuff. And I, I have heard it over and over and over again from people who have lost that they want to talk about it. And it's so completely, I, I know, it's not necessarily awkward for them and we'll put the blame on them. Oh, it's awkward for them. So we probably shouldn't talk about it. It's truly, it's awkward for us, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. awkward for the person wanting to come alongside and help, but there's healing in talking about it. How do we broach that subject? Do, do we wait to see if they want to do that? Or do we just, again, is it just making yourself available? No, I, I think you're onto something there. I think that um, experts would say that talking about it is good and is helpful. And I think that uh, one of the things that that is also talked about in a lot of grief circles is the fact that people never mention the loved one anymore and they don't because oh, yeah. they're trying to not hurt right, you know, right. someone's feelings or to bring it up. But typically people, they want to know that the their loved one they lost is remembered. Yeah. yeah. And so whenever you bring up his or her name, that's actually really comforting. Yeah. Oh, they haven't been forgotten. Right. You know, I remember, man, this would have been something they would have loved. Or I saw this the other day and it made me think of them. And I just wanted you to know about that. And we think, oh, is that going to be 
painful, but actually it's it's encouraging. And they say, mm. yeah, that that's good. I remember that. That's so special. One of the things that came to mind of having you on this podcast um, is uh, there's another family that um, I have gotten to know. I don't know the family we were talking about before, but one family we have gotten to know, they lost their little girl. Um, mm. Oh, it's been about a year or so, mm. I think. And we planted a tree um, to mm. remember her. Mm-hmm. And now every, and they were, you know, obviously tears that day, but they were so proud to be able to say, now there's a tree there yeah. and people walk by can remember our little girl and the smile she always had. Right. And, and you, you might think, oh gosh, this tree is going to be there every time they drive by or, or walk by, they're going to remember it's going to be too painful. And so we, we did the things that you would expect. Hey, this is, this is an idea. Yeah. Do you like this idea? Is this okay? Would you be okay if we did this? Oh, wow. We, we, we really like that idea. And so then it's something that they know their, their little girl has not been forgotten. And, and that helps them know that her life continues on, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. life has to move forward without her. That, that sort of thing. Yeah. What is the, um, uh, of all that you can remember in this moment with, uh, well, I mean, anything in life, but obviously these come, examples come to mind lately. The thing that stood out that you saw one church member doing for one of these grieving families mm. that was like, wow, that's a great example. Mm. You know, I, I think that in the immediate aftermath of this most recent tragedy, um, I just saw a couple of the friends just take on the logistics. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to reach out to the funeral home for you. Hey, we're going to be the one that's going to contact. Because, you know, when something like this happens, mm-hmm. there's a list of people that have to get phone calls. And they just said, hey, help us make the list. Okay, we're going to call these people. Because can you imagine having to no. call 50 family members and say, this is what's just, just happened, that sort of thing? And so it kind of goes back to that previous example, but this was in the immediate aftermath mm-hmm. Rather than um, just sitting, they also then said, what are the practical things that have to be taken care of right now? And we're going to handle that mm-hmm. for the family. I thought that was yeah. thought that was really, really good. I think the other thing that I, I've noticed is the people who don't, basically the way that we think of grief is from the time of death until the funeral. Mm. Most grief experts say that true grief begins yes. the day after the funeral yes. because that's when all the logistics have been taken care of. Okay, we've handled the burial. We've handled the service. All the people have come by. Everyone's paid their respects. During that time, the grieving parties are, you know, they're entertaining people. They're, they're you know, they're Something having- Something to do to exactly. keep busy. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And so now they come to a point where they are home by themselves. It's completely quiet. Am I going to go to work today? Mm-hmm. You know, what What do I do now? Okay, we normally cook dinner for three, but now we're cooking for two or you know, those kinds of things. And that's when I've seen people who have refused to stop walking with those individuals, mm-hmm. keep calling, keep checking. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. What's going on? That kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Holidays, birthdays. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is so good. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, one other idea that I've seen over the years, I, I really like this, is just to remember anniversaries. Mm. Um, you know, hey, a year ago, you experienced this loss. And I just wanted you to know, we're thinking about you today, praying for you. Thank Shoot you a for text. saying Shoot that. Shoot a note. That's good. That, yeah, that would be something I wouldn't even think about. It'd be so heart-wrenching. I don't know. So that's important. Right. I think the so. The anniversary of the passing. I, I think so. And okay. I think that people, again, it goes back to that fact that people 
are grateful to know that you have not forgotten that they're yeah. walking through this. Yeah, no, that's yeah. good. Okay. Well, then this February, you can remind me about my dog Benson uh, yeah. and give me the great theology of the Rainbow Bridge that I heard many times. <laughs> uh, of course, in the Bible, it says the Rainbow Bridge is <laughs> totally a thing. Lastly, I think just sitting here going with all what you've been through and that pastors go through, whether whether they're connected to it. I know this; these two examples, I'm sure hurt you. You knew them. Uh, or it's it's just a lot of, heaviness right now, even if you didn't know them and you're going through it, how can people that are regularly attending church or just want to reach out to any church and help pastors in general, what do you guys need Hmm. during a a stretch like this that can be helpful? Thanks for asking. Um, Number one, always just pray for your pastor. Um, I I know that people say that kind of stuff. and it, it, It may feel a little, I don't know, trite, I truly can tell you there have been seasons when people I know have been praying for me. And the only way that I made it through that season was just God's spirit sustained me. Um, Just in this example, we've been talking about literally multiple times. I just broke down. Mm -hmm. I wept. And to know that I was able to stand up and preach or to know that I was able to stand up and do that, that funeral service, Mm -hmm. that I get emotional before and after. Yes. Mm -hmm. But somehow supernaturally, I was able to make it through that. So I think that that prayer is big. And I appreciate you asking too. I, every every person's different. Every pastor's different. But I'm definitely one of those who, um, I, I, I have, I'm emotionally connected to the people in my church. And that's just the way that God made me. That's how I'm wired. And so whenever we experienced that loss, it, it was hard. It hurt. You know, I, I knew a lot of those kids whenever they were, you know, two, three, four years old. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to not feel some of that pain. And I think just circling back and saying, hey, I just want to make sure that you're doing okay. Mm -hmm. Do you need to talk to somebody? Um, I'm praying for you. Uh, That kind of stuff. I, I think that that's really helpful too. Yeah. I think this is a great example of what the body of Christ can be for one another. And uh, I know that, especially since COVID, um, attendance in church um, has fluctuated back and forth. And uh, we'll hear from people, even with our radio show, uh, that listening to Christian music has become kind of their church. Mm. And we're always trying to encourage the community that can be um, fellowshipping with other believers inside of a building uh, because it, otherwise, it's great if you meet people online and if you're if you're in a position health wise that you have to be there. Understandable. At the same time, there are outreach ministries in churches that can come to you mm. so that you can have that contact. There's something special about the physical act of touch mm-hmm. and hugging and prayer and being together. And I, when my father. Um, when my father could not be the pastor that he was supposed to be. And I've shared about his, his mental uh, disease before and he was being hospitalized. My mom, we saw lasagna after lasagna after <laughs> lasagna come to our house. It's the only thing people make. <laughs> but it was like, and we started rating. I was like, you know, hers wasn't as good as the other one. But it was amazing as a child to witness my mother being loved on that way. And clearly us children too, but my mother was taken care of by the body of Christ. And we limit ourselves when 
when perhaps maybe you've been in a, a place of like, I don't know which church to go to. Look, I completely sympathize. I get it. Perhaps you you fell out of line with one church or you're new to an area or whatever, but it can become an excuse that we lean on and cripple ourselves by, as opposed to like, I want to, I'm going to run this race right. and finish it with everything I got. You are going to be benefited by fans in the stands. Mm cheering you on. You got this, Rochelle. So I, it's important that we get involved in the church body as we see with this precious family they were. And even though the unthinkable happened, the grace and love yeah. that took place through the, your ministry. Uh, and when I say your ministry, obviously we, we always point back to Jesus. It's of not course. meant to be an right. ego trip no, thing for you, yeah. but just the fact that God was able to, to pour out his love through you because you made yourself available. It's what pastors do. And, and his people there in the congregation, I know that um, it just, it was laid heavily on your heart as a fellow congregate member, Carter. And yeah. uh, it was a beautiful thing to behold in the midst of just agony Yeah, that only God could make something that beauty from ashes, right? Well, you know, people talk about, uh, I don't know how people do it without God at funerals. Oh you know, word. Christians talk about, I don't know yeah. how people do it without God. Uh, you know, in this, just like you said, I don't know how people do it without a church body. Right. right. Too. It, it, and I don't, I'm a pastor, so obviously I love church, but I would say that if COVID taught us anything, mm -hmm. it's that we do not do well when we are isolated and disembodied. Mm -hmm. And uh, God became flesh. I think that's pretty important for us. We And you, you mentioned it, Rochelle. I mean, just hugging, uh, being present with one another, it does make a difference. Mm -hmm. And we can tell ourselves it doesn't. And man, Radio is amazing. Uh, any kind of media is amazing. It helps, but there is something unique we were created for whenever we are face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think that's important for us Amen. to remember. So, great segue, if you're in the northwest side of town of Houston and you want a church body uh, to be at hnw.org. It's Houston Northwest Church off of 249. And uh, Doc, let's see, what are we going to call him? Anything we want? Dr. Mega Hero, Steve Dr. Besner. Dr. Yes, uh, Dr. Expert. Yes, Steve Besner, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, I'm Carter Rochelle. Thank you so much for letting me be here today. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, and keep in mind, hopeondemand.com for a whole lot more about grief, about community, all of the things that we've talked about, much more resources for you right there, hopeondemand.com.